Hi, I'm Julia Lubin. I'm a model turned makeup artist and writer. I'm also the host of this podcast, the MUA Chronicle Podcast. Join me here every Tuesday as I pull back the curtain on the latest in beauty, fashion, and pop culture. I'm here to demystify the hype and give it to you real. Hello, welcome ladies and gentlemen. I'm totally kidding, but could you imagine if I did this whole episode in a German accent? I've been watching so many TikToks lately. I've been just scrolling through it for two, three hours instead of going to bed at night. And I've been obsessing with the ones that are like, wow, you can really dance. And so I will randomly just break into a German accent. Um, just like talking to my boyfriend, talking to friends, talking to myself out loud in an empty room. I'll just, you know, talk like the talk like, oh, wow. And now I lost it. I will talk like this and I will just say, you know, welcome, welcome into another episode. It is episode 20. Anyway, episode 20 of the Makeup Artist Chronicle. Yay! Thank you so much, everyone, for your downloads, your five-star reviews, your incredible feedback. I'm so, so, so happy to be building this really incredible community of fashion lovers, beauty lovers, pop culture lovers that just lift each other up and cut through all the bullshit. This episode, I'm talking about the future of fashion retail and runway shows during the time of the coronavirus, Um, and then also in the What the Hype segment, I'm talking about the future of beauty retailers and also a really exciting new launch in the world of sunscreen. Now, you know, I'm obsessed with sunscreen. Not one episode goes by where I don't talk about the importance of SPF. So I'm really excited that there are two new products coming to the market that have really, really incredible potential. And I can't wait until they launch so that I can review them for you, tell you if it's worth the hype. Um, And then in the beauty breakdown of this episode, I'm diving into sustainability and waste when it comes to the beauty industry. What does it mean? What brands are doing about it? And how you can help without compromising your routine. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Wow. It's a a vibe today, you guys. It's a total vibe. Um, And I just want to give you all a heads up that I am currently traveling, so I'm not at home. If you hear any background noise, I am so sorry about that, Um, but I'm not in a studio. I'm not in a very quiet space, so I'll try to keep background noise to a minimum. Don't worry. I am staying safe. I am making sure anyone I come into contact with is safe for me. I am physically distancing but I am away from home for just a few days. So without further ado, let's hop into some what the hype. What the hype? Amazon is continuing to be one of the few retailers in this quarantine that is crushing it. They are now turning their attention to the fashion world. Now, Jeff Bezos has always been in love with fashion. He's been wanting to get into it for a while. So it's interesting that this is the next step. Uh, Amazon has partnered with Vogue and the CFDA to launch Common Threads, Vogue x Amazon Fashion. For those who don't know, the CFDA is the Council of Fashion Designers of America. 
It is a nonprofit organization that essentially helps support American designers and American fashion brands so that they can succeed in the global fashion industry. Tom Ford is the current chairman of the CFDA and the council does an annual fashion awards. They're basically considered to be the Oscars of fashion, right? So you know how much I love award season, award shows, the CFDA, uh, annual fashion awards are no exception. Between award season and runway season, those are like the all-consuming dates on my calendar. I'm obsessed with that. Anyway, Jeff Bezos, as I was saying, he's the CEO of Amazon. He's a huge fashion lover. He even, back in 2012, he co-hosted the Met Gala. He was one of those folks that was next to Anna Wintour planning the whole event, curating it. Um, And this is his way of helping independent American designers continue their businesses during the pandemic. Now, a lot of luxury fashion retailers have either filed for bankruptcy, like Neiman Marcus and J. Crew, or they've temporarily shut down their operations, like Net-A-Porter. Although, side note, Net-A-Porter is reopening soon, so they're kind of relaunching all of that, but it's been hard for the fashion community and for the fashion world. You know, the economy in America, when it comes to that industry, has been really, really tough. Um... So designers that don't have a decade or centuries old fashion house behind them, like the heavy hitters, they've really found themselves struggling to keep their businesses afloat. You can shop Common Thread right now for designer collections from the likes of Tabitha Simmons, 3.1 Philip Lim, Derek Lambton Crosby, Jonathan Cohen, and 16 more independent American designers. In the shop, you'll find everything from accessories all the way to bridal gowns. And if you're not sure where to start, there is a curated list of favorites that are made from the Vogue editors. So the editors got together, they got some really great trends, and they curated looks that are sold in the Common Threads um, boutique that are in line with these trends, you know, pops of color, really great neutral, springtimey trends. Um, I mean, personally, if you're looking for recommendations, if I'm putting an outfit together from the shop, I'm grabbing a pair of shades from Crew, amazing sunglasses. I'm grabbing that satin and leather handbag from Hunting Season. I'm grabbing a pair, literally any pair of Chloe Gosselin shoes. You know, gonna need a pump, gonna need a sandal, gonna need a flat, a little bit of everything so that I can rotate through. And literally anything from Alejandra Alonso Rojas. Her vibe is incredible. I'm so, so, so obsessed. Um, But if you're like, it's quarantine, I don't really feel like putting on pumps and, you know, a tiered gown, totally fine. Uh, If you're into more of the athleisure vibe, I'd recommend checking out Adam Selman's sport. His prints are super chic. His, you know, cuts are really flattering. His personal website for his business, he uses a variety of shapes and sizes for his models. So he really does have an incredible line. And now you can shop him on the Common Threads Boutique and Amazon. And if you look, his campaign, the the head model of his campaign is Bella Hadid. So you know that it's a vibe. Honestly, the only thing getting me through these uncertain times is Rent the Runway. And I'm going to be like, I know this sounds like an ad. It's not an ad. I don't have any sponsors, but I would love for Rent the Runway to be sponsors of my podcast. I'm a longtime subscriber. I'm obsessed with fashion. And honestly, there's nothing giving me more joy right now than putting on a sequin cocktail dress, having it come in the mail, putting it on, going through my Zoom meetings, wearing it around the house with fuzzy slippers, baking bread. 
And then ultimately I just drop it in the UPS box and then I get another one. It's like so incredible. So if you work at Rent the Runway, if you know someone at RTR and you want to put in a good word to have them hop on as a sponsor for the MUA Chronicles podcast, hit me up, plant the seed, let them know. I will gladly accept. Let's talk about runway. So since runway seasons are some of my favorite of the year, as I mentioned before, I figure we should talk about some upcoming fashion weeks. So in a previous episode, I talked about London Fashion Week following in the footsteps of Shanghai and going virtual for their runway shows. Now, in Shanghai, the shows were put on by live models that walked down a green screened runway. So the runway was green screened, all everything around them was green screened. And then the background and this runway and the stage and everything were enhanced with CGI and people could view the runway show via live stream. And some of the brands offered a see now, buy now option where the viewers could look at the details of the items that the models were wearing to walk down the runway and they could put an order in on the spot. Now, this isn't anything relatively new. A lot of brands have tried this model either on their entire collections or on some items of their collections, limited edition items. And as a consumer, there is nothing more satisfying than seeing something walk down a runway and having the instant gratification of just buying it, right? You don't have to wait six months. Oh, you saw it on the runway or you saw it, you know, someone posted on Instagram about it and you're like, okay, I have to wait six months now before it's produced and in stores or online available for purchase. You can get the instant gratification of just buying it on the spot. So the model um, of see now, buy now has really, really been thriving in Asia where fast fashion is king. But for the more traditional luxury brands like Tom Ford, um, it's been said that it's a logistical nightmare. Tom Ford actually tried to do this multiple times with his collections. And he said that it's just a mess with the supply chain. Like it just creates a ton of issues up front and also down the line. So essentially you have to prepare your collections for sale at the time of the runway show and hope that you'll actually make a profit. So you're putting in all this effort to produce pieces that you hope will sell. And if they don't, then you're pretty much just shit out of luck and you've lost that, that money, that potential revenue. So it's a lot of investment up front without any guarantee of a payoff. So it's been tough for, for some fashion houses to really nail the model. And I mean, the fashion industry has certain ways that they've done things for years and years and years. And so, you know, to go about and change a piece of it, It's hard when the entire industry hasn't been updated, it hasn't been changed. And so to change one element of it and then expect everything else to fall into place is really tough. I'm wondering if this will change how we buy and how we view fashion and how we interact with it with, you know, the pandemic and the quarantine. But anyway, back to runway shows. Soon after London announced it was going virtual for Fashion Week, Milan and Paris decided to do so as well. So Paris will be jumping ahead of its usual time. It used to show at the end of July, and now it's going to be showing in the second week of July. Um, And Milan will be showing starting July 14th. So Paris is going to show... 
um, its men's collection. And then Milan is going to show their men's collection as well as their men's and women's cruise. So they're kind of like resort style. Um, and then London is going to be June 12th. And the thing about London is it's not only going to be virtual, it's also going to be gender neutral. So the um, British Council of Fashion got together and they decided starting June 12th, that will be the first fashion week that will be gender inclusive and have androgynous clothing walking down the runways and it'll continue for all of the shows that fall within a 12-month period of fashion. So this is really, really exciting. I'm interested to see how this all is received and how it's orchestrated. Um, no news on whether any of these virtual fashion weeks will allow see now, buy now options like in Shanghai. It might be that you can live stream the shows, but you might still need to wait a few months to buy the pieces. Or maybe you can put an order in for the pieces, but then you have to wait for them to be produced and shipped and etc. So I'm not sure how it'll work out or how or whether it'll be worth it. Um, but I'm interested to see what'll happen because this is really exciting, really exciting adaptations of these almost antiquated industries to see how they're surviving in the modern world. Um, now let's just jump into some beauty, shall we? There is a beauty launch coming later this month that I am so excited about. So Venus Williams is working with Credo Beauty. You know I love Credo. I've been talking about the swag bag that I got at that convention forever. I'm still making my way through it. I love them. They're such an incredible retailer. They're essentially like the Sephora for clean beauty, but kind of without the like bankrupt moral code. I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, Venus Williams is working with Credo Beauty to launch a skincare line. So the powerhouse athlete already has a clothing line called Eleven, so it makes sense that her beauty offshoot has the same name. It comes from the fact that most of the things we rank are on a scale from 1 to 10, but she, Venus Williams, likes to live her life at an 11 to really just give it all to everything she's got. Um, the sunscreen will come into in two forms. It's going to be a serum stick with an SPF of 35 that gives a lightweight velvety finish. So all of you that have, you know, drier skin or that don't really like to wear a lot of product, that's going to be for you. And then there's going to be a cream with an SPF of 30 that gives a semi-matte finish. I have a feeling that's going to be my preference just because I get really oily and greasy and sweaty, especially in the hotter months. So I think that is going to be my vibe, but I'm going to try both of them and let you know my thoughts. What I really love is that both of these products, um, which were formulated with a sunscreen lab in Canada, are mineral sunscreens. So let's break down the two types of sunscreens real quick. Mineral sunscreens are also known as physical sunscreens because they provide a barrier on the skin that bounces off UV rays. Chemical sunscreens absorb the rays into themselves so that they don't absorb into the skin. These sunscreens have gotten a lot of dislike lately because some of them have oxybenzone and octanoxate. These two ingredients have been shown to increase the bleaching of coral reefs in the oceans. So essentially, coral reefs are losing their colors. They're, it's disrupting the entire ecosystem. And a lot of this is, you know, people will put on sunscreens with the, these ingredients. They go into the ocean. It gets washed off. It gets absorbed into the coral reefs. It's a big problem. And there are some places in the world like Hawaii that are outlawing. They're basically banning the these ingredients from being sold 
in their stores because they're like, no, this is causing too much, too many issues. And we have so many people that go into the ocean, they can't be wearing these things. So in addition to disrupting the ecosystem, the FDA is also looking into chemical sunscreen ingredients to see how safe they really are when they're absorbed into the skin. Jury is still out. Currently, there's a, there are a lot of questions. Nothing has been overtly stated to be unsafe, but it's been stated that the um, chemical sunscreens, aka, or I'm sorry, the mineral sunscreens, aka physical sunscreens, are healthier have been proven to be healthier um, or at least have been proven not to have detrimental effects. So that's why a lot of people are switching from to the physical sunscreens and those often contain things like titanium or zinc and they can be like pasty or white. So people are not really happy about that. They're like, okay, it's healthier for me. It's healthier for the environment, but it looks terrible. And so that makes it troublesome for people who is all the people that aren't fair skinned, right? It leads skin to look kind of white or gray, almost ashy. And so people that have deeper skin tones will avoid using these types of sunscreens. However, Eleven, the skincare line from Venus, does not leave any of these traces. They're formulated not to leave behind any kind of cast, any gray cast, white cast, not to mess with your skin tone. And they are lightweight. They don't have that pasty texture. They're very, very unique formulations. And so the both of these products launch later this month in May at Credo. And you can head over to credobeauty.com and plug in your email. They'll notify you when the products drop so you can shop them. I'll also be sure to link it in both my Twitter and the show notes for this episode so that you know what to keep an eye out on, where to put your email so that you can be updated on this sunscreen drop. And... If you need a not so subtle reminder, my Twitter handle is at MUA Chronicle, M-U-A-C-H-R-O-N-I-C-L-E. I'm also the same on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, literally you go on Google, you type in MUA Chronicle, I come up. I did, I have tried to just dominate everything and I think it's working. <laughs> Moving on now, in recent with the hypes, I've talked about Ulta and Macy's reopening their stores for customers. And one of the things that I was most nervous about was how the employees could keep customers from using the testers during coronavirus. Or, you know, really, ever. Beauty testers are super, super unhygienic. I've worked at a beauty counter and just seeing the people that use the testers, how they use it, it's just not a good system. Few people actually follow the rules when it comes to applying testers using disposable applicators or not double dipping. They will literally just take it, put it on their lips, right? Like a lip gloss, they'll take the wand and try to put it on their lips. Or if you give them a disposable wand, they'll put it on their lips and then they'll like re-dip into the applicator. It's, I mean, I can see both sides of it, right? It's not the best customer experience to have to use all of these disposables and be super hygienic and be like, it is a bit of a pain in the ass and people take it personally. They shouldn't, but they do. And at the same time, like we can't just let them do what they want to do because that leads to cross contamination and it's just a mess anyway. It turns out this has been a problem that companies have been thinking about before coronavirus even became so prevalent. So 
they were looking into ways that they can start implementing the solution now that all of these stores are reopening and then extended well after the pandemic passes. So some options being thrown around are digital try-on services. So you can see this service most frequently at Sephora, where you stand in front of it kind of looks almost like an iPad or a tablet that has a camera on it, like a selfie camera. You can see your face on the screen and then you can select different products, eyeshadows, lipsticks, etc. And you, it essentially shows you a live selfie camera of your face and you can select a product in a shade and it will superimpose it onto your face on the screen. So it's a very, very, it's, it's, it's not touchless, but you're not touching the products. You're essentially just touching the screen. So that's one thing it's, I mean, you have to get some pretty, pretty good quality camera lighting, etc. Otherwise it's going to be kind of janky and people will not enjoy it. And also I feel like people like to see the texture. They like to feel the texture. So, I mean, that's a that's a good piece. I don't know if it's going to be for everyone. Another really cool piece of tech um, is auto-dispensing samples. So you essentially get a hygienic dose of a product in a disposable um, bottle, like you decant it, or you get it directly onto an applicator. And I think this is so cool. So what I imagine it being like is almost like the like a wall unit of a hand sanitizer or a Froyo machine, but for things like foundation and lip gloss, and you just kind of press a button or pull a trigger, and it like dispenses the product that you want to try or you want to take home. And I just think that that's so cool. I'm interested to see how that will be packaged so that it's not like bulky or hard to manage or hard to, um, service because one of the things that we had when I worked at the makeup counter, not at my location, but at another location for the brand that I worked at was custom made foundation mixing. So for those that don't know, I worked at Lancome and one of the locations had you essentially put this device to your skin. It creates a foundation match using an algorithm. It then mixes the pigments in a machine and you get your own deluxe foundation full size of your exact shade. But the machine I felt like was always getting clogged up. It was actually always getting clogged up when the darker pigments were used, which is interesting. So it was always getting clogged up. It was always out of commission. And then you had to call someone to come and service it, a technician to fix it. And it was this whole thing. So I'm wondering how this will look for the auto dispensing samples. Will it be a specific type of product first like will it only dispense foundation samples or lip gloss samples or whatever or is it going to be just like one big unit that goes in almost like a vending machine it has all of the things in there and you can just dispense a certain amount and give it to the person so I'm really interested to see what that'll look like and what that'll mean for counter managers who have to essentially manage making sure that it's always stocked. It's always ready. It's good to go. Um, people, one thing I learned at the makeup counter, which shouldn't have come as a surprise is people love, love, love their samples and they will actively ask for samples. Even if they're not buying anything, even if they're not chatting with you, they'll just walk straight up to your counter and be like, what kind of samples do you have? I want samples. And the samples that we got were always a limited quantity because producing them is such a, it's a lot. 
and it's kind of wasteful and it's kind of, so the third type of sampling or testers that is being proposed is the one that we actually had, the one that I'm talking about that's kind of wasteful and it's individually packaged samples, right? So a lot of beauty counters already have this subscription boxes already have this. If you subscribe to like a Birch box or an Allure beauty box, you get sample sized products. And so these are things that Typically, brands make so that people can sample them and then hopefully decide they love them, continue to buy them full-sized. I think the question for these is around sustainability, right? So there is a lot of effort and processes and waste that goes into producing these samples, bottling, packaging these samples, shipping them to all of the locations, and then mark my words, they're gone in under a week, just with all the people that like you're either, they either purchase something and you drop some samples in, or they're literally just coming up to you, harassing you for samples. So the question around that becomes, you know, sustainability and how wasteful is it to put all this effort into these individually packaged samples? So I think for me, I really love the disposable, not disposable, the dispenser, the dispenser that dispenses a specific amount of sample. And it's very kind of, it's almost waste-free. It's much more sustainable. It allows you to have a variety of samples that are catered to the customer. I'm interested to see how it's implemented. Um, But now, since I already mentioned the topic of sustainability, and that is the topic of today's beauty breakdown, I figure let's just jump into it. Why not? Let's head into the beauty breakdown. breakdown. Every year in April, I do a post on my website dedicated to sustainable brands in honor of Earth Day. But truth be told, sustainability in the beauty industry is something that is always on my mind. I will always try my best to shop mission-based brands, sustainable brands over those that aren't being thoughtful about our planets. But honestly, a lot of beauty brands have not yet caught up to kind of the modern era of waste management. What a glamorous topic. You know, a lot of the old school makeup brands that have been around for a while, they have their systems in place and their production in place, and it's hard for them to kind of start to change that around. But there are brands that are doing it, and there are new brands cropping up that are, you know, really driving the the narrative of the beauty industry in terms of how it interacts with our environment. But I think we need to kind of get down to brass tacks, right? So what does it even mean to be sustainable? Sustainable practices are possible in every step of the production and supply of products, right? So it starts with ethical sourcing. Think of this almost in terms of the Burning Man Festival, right? Leave no trace. So for example, say I was trying to create a face cream and my primary ingredient was fire lilies, right? So the fire lily is a very, very rare flower. It's mostly found in South Africa and it only reproduces after fires. Seriously. So botanists are really nervous about the survival of this species of plant because its multiplication is really dependent on this super specific event. 
well, it would absolutely not be a sustainable practice if I went to South Africa, I harvested all of the fire lilies for my cream, right? This is what I've done. I've essentially ruined a rare species of plant, which can now disrupt an entire ecosystem. I've just wiped out a whole species of this lily and the face cream that I used it for. Now I can't even replicate it unless I figured out a way to chemically chemically synthesize it in a lab because that species is gone. I have wiped it out from its ecosystem. So like, what's the point? What's the purpose, right? So sustainable sourcing ultimately means that ingredients are able to be harvested without destroying the ecosystem that they are a part of. Ethical sourcing can also extend to meaning the way that you treat and compensate those people who are harvesting and processing the ingredients. So you want to make sure that they have safe working conditions, they have fair wages, because ultimately they're a part of that ecosystem. So once the ingredients make their way to the lab and the production sites, it's important to understand the amount of waste that's generated during production and bottling. So what kind of energy are you using in your factories, right? Are you using coal? Are you using electricity? What are you using? How are you shipping your products to the customers, right? So glass is oftentimes seen as more sustainable because it is a type of packaging that can be recycled or reused, but it is heavier. So it does produce more carbon emissions to ship it to stores, customers, etc. right? So there's always kind of like a rub. And all of the energy that you use in making, bottling, packaging, shipping your products, all of it contributes to air quality, to the environment. And arguably, this is the hardest part of the production process to change, right? So some brands have figured out how to do it. Think of Tata Harper. You know Tata Harper. It's that green bottle with the yellow writing and the gold tops, and it's very chic and very effective. It's The products are incredible. The ingredients are incredible. So with Tata Harper, she has a farm in Vermont where she lives and she has her business, and every single piece of the Tata Harper beauty line comes from this farm. They grow their ingredients there. They harvest them there sustainably. They manufacture the products. They bottle them all on site in small batches, and then they ship them out to where they need to go. And it's all done within this kind of this enclosed ecosystem of her farm in Vermont. But now a lot of brands aren't able to do this. You know, new brands that are cropping up, maybe don't have the capital or the space or the means to create an entire area that both grows, harvests, produces, manufactures, like everything has to be on site there and it has to not take over the town with like carbon emissions and just all of that. So it's intense. Not a lot of new brands don't have the means and the opportunity to do something like that. And then a lot of the older brands have already have their like carbon driven factories. They have their processes that they do that, and you know, it's been giving them revenue. And so now if they were to go in and try to change all of that, They could do it, but it's going to be a much slower process because they have to go kind of piece by piece. Overhauling the whole thing would essentially halt their production for an indeterminate amount of time, and then they're not making money. So how can they support the people that work for them? So while a lot of these brands aren't able to really change 
their overall production or they don't really know where to start or they're thinking of it in terms of what's the easiest first step. Maybe you're someone that has a brand that's thinking like, well, what's the easiest first step to kind of get me to be a more sustainable brand? The I feel like one of the easiest places to start just because there are more resources around it at this point is your packaging. In 2018, a nonprofit company called Zero Waste Week revealed that more than 120 billion, with a B, units of cosmetics packaging were produced globally, and most of it was not recyclable or compostable. And I know I pronounce compostable weird. I'm not from this country. It's English is my second language. Just, just roll with it, okay? Let's just roll on. When it comes to the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, reports are released annually for the types of packaging contributing to overflowing landfills. But the agency has yet to give the beauty industry its own category in this research, which is a little confounding to me because last year, the beauty industry was valued at $532 billion, again, with a B, billion dollars. And it was anticipated that it would continue to rise as it has been in recent years. So this is, you know, think of all the bloggers, vloggers, YouTubers, TikTokers, Instagrammers, beauty gurus, beauty brands, etc. Like the list is exhaustive and all of it is driving beauty industry revenue up, 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 up. So you know, there is a need there to look at the research of how an industry that is so global, wide reaching, globally spanning, expensive, revenue producing, like, how are they contributing to the impact of the waste around the world, right? So think about the packaging for your shampoo, your face mask, mascara, all of the beauty products that you use regularly, right? Now think about all of the new products that you buy and how often you buy them. Now of all of those products, what kind of packaging are they in? What kind of boxes do they come in? What do you do with the containers when you're done using them? So just think about your process of all this. And again, I'm not like, I'm not like, zeroing, zeroing, I'm going to stop using that word. I'm not calling you out personally, although I feel like it may sound like it. I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I think it's just a mindful piece of us as consumers. What are we using? How often are we buying new stuff? What are we doing with the empties? What are we doing if they're not empty, right? Because most of today's beauty products are made from plastic that ends up in a landfill. And here's the really fucked up part, ready? Some containers will say recyclable on them, but they don't tell you that only certain parts of the bottle are recyclable, right? So you have, say you have a bottle of lotion, body lotion with a pump, that container might be recyclable, but that pump is going to end up in a landfill or that bottle might end up in a landfill if it has a label on it because, and this is so insane because the, the font or the, the lettering on the label is written with a certain kind of ink that makes it unable to be recycled. And so the whole thing will go into a landfill. And this is just something that people aren't made aware of. This isn't, this isn't something that brands are helping educate their consumers on. And like I was saying, it may sound like I'm saying you, 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 but honestly, I'm so guilty of this as well because I just have not been aware of all of these nuances for years and years and years. I have been a beauty customer, consumer for, you know, since I was 10 years old and I was taking my 
little bit of allowance and going to Rite Aid and getting, you know, the Wet n Wild or the NYC eyeliner, right? So I can tight line my eyes, which is a whole other conversation of things you should not do that I used to do in the 90s because I thought it was cool. Anyway, we're not going to get into that because I'm going to be triggered. Anyway, so there are all of these nuances. So I've been a consumer since the time I was 10 years old. I'm 31 now. So that's over 20 years that I've just not been really aware of my contribution to the waste based on my beauty products, not to mention all the other things, right? So there are two pieces of the puzzle that I think are really important. One, I think companies should be more transparent around how to recycle or compost their containers. Odds are I'm willing to bet that people will abide by the guidelines if you have them. It just, you know, it's, I think it's hard to, it's asking a lot of people to have them do their own research and deep dive and really take the time to do all of these things. But I feel like if you give them a guideline, like if you have a little booklet or you even have it printed on the packaging, like on the box, this is how you can recycle this container, right? I feel like people will be more likely to follow instructions that are literally right there. They don't have to dig deep for the research. They don't have to be too thoughtful about it. It literally has step-by-step bullet point instructions like do this, do that, do this. Um, I feel like recently I saw this on Instagram. So I love Mara Beauty, M-A-R-A. It's a really incredible skincare brand that harvests algae and ingredients from the sea in a sustainable way. And the founder, Allison McNamara, she is a kind of a veteran in the beauty industry. She launched her own product line, which is Mara Beauty, I think a few years ago. It's a relatively baby brand, but she went on her Instagram and she was like, hey, if you have our universal face oil, this is how you can recycle the packaging. This is how you can take it apart. It was so easy. It was step by step. And she spoke about her desire and her active working on the fact that she's looking to make the whole container recyclable or reusable instead of having to kind of take it apart. She's looking for more sustainable options for her packaging. So I think if you give people the instructions, if you make it as easy as possible, if you make it a no-brainer, people will abide. People will be like, oh, this is an easy win. This is something I can do that makes me feel like I'm contributing to the overall well-being of our planet. And I don't have to think twice about it. Like, this is so easy. I This is an easy accomplishment, and I'm great. I'm awesome. You know what I mean? I think the other piece of the puzzle is maybe companies need to start making containers that are completely recyclable without having to be ripped apart. Like the monkey bread that I've been making during this quarantine. You know, side note. Yes, I have succumbed to the baking and the cooking and all of this and the making of the bread and the pizza dough. But you know what I have not broken down into yet? Tie-dye. And I say yet because I've been researching tie-dye and how I can get on board with it. I love it. I love the results. I don't know if I'm willing to invest in all the effort of it. But if you're a tie-dye fiend or you're a bread-baking fiend or you have any other hobbies that you've taken up in this quarantine that you're obsessed with, please let me know because I am so down. I'm so, so, so down. Okay, back, back, back to the sustainable beauty aspect of this podcast. Um, so like I said, some brands are already thinking of how they can make their packaging completely sustainable, right? Like Mara Beauty. Some brands are already doing this. They've already made products that are completely recyclable. So one of my favorite makeup brands of all time, I am obsessed with this brand. It's called Ather Beauty. 
A-E-T-H-E-R. And they're completely vegan, completely organic. They have eyeshadow palettes. They have a bunch of stuff. And don't get me wrong. Like, you think that the packaging, like the eyeshadow palettes, because it comes in this kind of recyclable cardboard, it's going to be flimsy or the payoff on the shadows is not going to be great. The shadows are crazy pigmented, easy to blend. The palette is sturdy and it really travels well. It can stand up to a lot. And then you just like toss the whole thing. You don't have to rip it apart or anything. And here's the other thing. So I saw the brand, um, some of the representatives of the brand when they were at the Credo Clean Beauty Convention. I'm going on and on and on about it. I know, I know, I know. But this is really, really exciting. So they launched lip glosses this past year. And I cannot begin to tell you how amazing these lip glosses are. The scent is amazing. I mean, this is an organic, vegan, natural, sustainable product. The scents, they smell like dessert. The payoff of the color is insane. They have this like this like red, like candy apple red high shine gloss. It's insane how amazing the color looks. The texture is like it's high shine. I don't even know how to properly describe it. It's like high shine, but it feels hydrating. It doesn't feel like tacky or like glossy. It It's amazing texture. And what they told me, they're like, you can just toss the whole thing. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, the packaging is 100% recyclable. The, the ink on the packaging is recyclable. It's, it'll decompose. The um, gloss wand, the applicator, you don't have to rip it out of the packaging and then toss it in the, the entire, entire, entire lip gloss package is recyclable. Like that is huge. And the fact that it is an incredible product and the fact that it's at a very decent price point, I'm obsessed. Ather Beauty, if you also want to be a sponsor on this podcast, hit me up. I am obviously a very, very big fan, but check them out. They're awesome. So Um, another alternative that might work is going back to the source, right? When it comes to the packaging. So instead of tossing your empties in the recycling bin and kind of hoping it all works out or ripping it all apart and being like, Oh, I don't know if I did this right. Maybe I did. Some brands are actually offering return programs. And some of these brands are old school, been around for a long time, and they're really getting with the program brands. Um, for example, so Mac cosmetics, we all love Mac. I have been MAC lipstick was the very first lipstick I ever owned. So yes, I would pay $2 for like an NYC black eyeliner, but I would save up and I would drop the money on a MAC lipstick. And my, my friend AJ actually worked at MAC for a long time. And when I first met him, I was like, I love MAC. Myth lipstick was the first one I ever owned. And I would do like, I would tight line my waterline with black eyeliner. I would do a ton of mascara. I wouldn't even touch my very sparse brows. I would do a matte powdery foundation, full coverage. And then I would do myth lipstick. And he was horrified, horrified. And you know what? So am I, you know what I might do? 
I might go on my Instagram stories and do, or my YouTube and do like, this is how I used to do my makeup when I was a teenager because it's horrific, but it might also be kind of funny. Anyway, so I love Mac and they have a program where you can bring six empty containers of Mac products. And this doesn't have to be just lipsticks. It could literally be like an empty mascara container, an empty foundation container, anything that's Mac cosmetics. So you bring back six empties and you get a free full size tube of lipstick. This is old school. This is bartering system. You bring back six empties and you get a full size. So you can go ahead and grab a free myth lipstick from Mac Cosmetics. I probably won't recommend for you to do that, but I, God, I still love that lipstick so much. AJ, I'm so sorry if you're listening. Please don't be mad at me. I love it so much. So yeah, that's one of the programs. Um, and then essentially you give it back to the brand. The brand properly takes care of the empties. They either recycle them properly or they, you know, melt them down and reuse them. Incredible, incredible. Um, other brands that offer this kind of return program are Lush. You know Lush. Their bath bombs are insane. Um, Kiel does it. Zoya. Zoya is my favorite nail polish brand of all time. It is one of those brands that really innovated the seven free system. They're very um, delightful to use and they last a long time. They last me longer than any of the other plain, non-gel, non-UV, non-whatever nail polishes on the market. I'm obsessed with them. I've been obsessed with them for the longest time. I believe they're based in Brooklyn, New York. And um, each each bottle of nail polish is like $8, I think. And if you're in this quarantine, again, not an ad, just obsessed with them. If you're in this quarantine and you're like, I need a gel manicure so bad, they have this gel manicure system where you... They give you the UV light, they give you a few items for cuticle care, and then give you a base coat and a top coat, and that's it. And the reasoning for that is because you they created this system where you are essentially able to use any one of their regular non-gel nail polishes in between the top coat and the base coat of their gel system, and it'll transform any regular nail polish from their line into a gel manicure. Like, What? I don't have to buy extra gel colors. You literally just have a base and a top coat in this system that allows me to have my regular nail polish that costs $8 a bottle from your line. And I'm able to turn it into a gorgeous gel manicure that lasts two, three weeks by myself at home. What? 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 Hello. Insane. Anyway, obsessed with them. Aveda also does a return program. Innisfree does a return program, which Innisfree, incredible K-beauty brand. Love them. Their bomb is bomb. Um, And so many more. And if you want to know more about these programs, you can kind of check out the company sites. Maybe go on Google and be like, beauty return programs. There are a lot of resources out there for that. Um, Or you can go to TerraCycle.com. So TerraCycle, T-E-R-R-A-C-Y-C-L-E.com is actually a company that a lot of these brands work with to help facilitate the return and reprocessing of these empties. So they're a really great resource. You can kind of get a lot of education around um, sustainability and waste management in the beauty industry with that. And I will be sure to link it in the show notes as well as on my Twitter. I'll just link everything. So um, don't worry about, you know, hopefully you're taking notes, but hopefully you're not and you're 
I don't know. So you don't have to take notes. This isn't, this won't be on the final, which side note, congratulations to all the graduates of the class of 2020. I'm so sorry that you can have like full on hardcore graduations. Um, but you know what? You, that does not take away from your accomplishments. You are an incredible, incredible class. You are each incredible human beings and you will have your moment. I promise you, you will have your moment and you will go out into this world and you will make it your own. And this will, this whole situation will inform who you are as leaders in the future world. So, you know, I appreciate you. Congratulations on your graduation. You're going to kill it. Okay, back to sustainability. So here are the hard and fast roles, right? So I walked you through a little bit of the background, a little bit of the context. But if you're like, okay, well, what can I do? Hello, give me some tips. Hard and fast roles. If you have a container with a pump or a dropper, remove the pump or the dropper from the bottle. So the bottle will more than likely be recycled. If it's a pump, odds are the entire pump can be trashed. It's not recyclable, unfortunately. Um, If it's a dropper, you can take off the little plastic squeezy bit that's on the top, the little nipple, if you will. And you can trash that piece. The pipette itself will either be glass, it'll probably be glass, or it may be a specific kind of plastic that can be recycled. So the dropper, the tube part of it, you can um, recycle. And then the little nipple on top, the little squeezy bit, you'll have to trash. And then the bottle, if it has a label on it um, that's plastic or... um, Yeah, I think it's mostly plastic labeling. Honestly, rule of thumb, if your container has any kind of label that's removable, go ahead and just rip that off as best you can. Recycle the bottle, trash the label. And I mean, if you have the desire, please choose the sustainable brands, the ones that really have it built into their missions and their processes um, over some of the other brands that are out there that are not really playing ball. Or if you have your favorite brands that you are so gung-ho about that you are like, this is my jam, I am not leaving these brands behind, you know, reach out to them, email their customer service, DM their founders, like get on their asses and be like, hey, what are you doing to make your brand more sustainable for the world? And honestly, they're going to respond. Like one time I lost, one time I lost my music sticker on Instagram and I shouted them out and I was like, yo, Instagram, give me this shit back. I had emailed their customer service. No one got back to me, but then I shouted them out in my stories and I was like, yo, Instagram, hello. And immediately they gave me back my music sticker without saying anything. So, you know, reaching out in any way possible, tweeting, Instagramming, DMing, emailing, calling, putting, blasting them on your social, make these brands listen to things that are important to you because they are, they will, and they want to keep you as a customer. <sighs> you guys, I hope this was helpful to all of you. I will link everything I talked about in the show notes for this episode on my website so you can check it out, julialubin.com slash chronicle. Now, I spell my name differently. If you haven't noticed, it's J-U-L-I-Y-A. So julialubin.com slash chronicle for all of those details. Again, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. You'll find all of the links that I allude to on these episodes there. M-U-A chronicle, M-U-A-C-H-R-O-N-I-C-L-E. I think I blacked out a little bit, so I hope I actually did spell that out right. Um, 
If you have any more questions or if you have tips, tricks on how to practice being more sustainable with your self-care products, please email me, please DM me. I definitely want to be more educated and to help share it with my audience. Thank you for coming by for this episode and I will see you next week on the MUA Chronicle podcast. Bye. Bye.